Welcome to Deed and Truth, a podcast exploring loving God and loving our neighbors, not just in words, but also in actions, and with the Bible as the source and standard of truth. I am one of your hosts, Tommy Morris, and in the studio with me today is Mr. Scott Vitro. Hey. Yes, and Mr. Sean Schomer. Hello. Welcome back, guys. Yeah, well, today's going to be a neat episode, so I actually get to interview the two of you on your trip to Zambia. Yeah. Which is, which is cool. It's exciting because it's been, it's been like four or five months since we went. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It was August, wasn't it? Or We got back July 5th. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess one of my first questions is what motivated you guys to, to go from Navarre, Florida all the way to Zambia? What inspired you guys to do that? So for me, you know, they brought it up in church. Pat said, hey, we're, we're going to Zambia, you know, think about it. Pray about it. And I had been to Ecuador and Panama Canal, and I was like, man, I'm going to travel. I'm going to go across an ocean, or I'm going to go out of country once every year. I love traveling. And then COVID hit, and I wasn't able to do it for a couple years. And I was like, hey, man, here's my opportunity. Maybe I'll go. So I was kind of tossing around, playing around with it. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I had just transitioned jobs and all that stuff, so I didn't have the PTO time. I didn't have... uh, you know, availability to really like take off. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know, maybe next time it's not for me. And, uh, I was playing disc golf with Pat and he's like, man, he's like, have you thought about Zambia? I was like, yeah, you know, I kind of tossed it around. He's like, dude, I think it'd be good for you to go to Zambia. He's like, we've got a lot of people, a lot of like women signed up to go to Zambia and we only have maybe like three or four men who are going. Um, and just with me, my construct, uh, my background in construction and just working and wanting to serve and all that, he's like, dude, I think you'd be a good fit for it. Like, I, I want you to reconsider. And so kind of just started actually, like, thinking about it, praying about it, thinking about the actual act of, you know, being able to get time off, pay for the trip, and then go to the trip and all that. And uh, it came out to where I was like, yeah, I want to go. So that's kind of how my my journey from hearing about Zambia to, you know, committing to going to Zambia went. Yeah, no, I mean, that's uh, that's great. I mean, Tommy, so I like I want to ask about your motivation to go too, but, you know, it, it just hit me. So like what's what's in Zambia? Like maybe share with our listeners, like why why are we even trying to go? Like what's there and what motivated you to go? Okay, yeah, so to kind of lay that foundation, the ministry that we've been working with, the local group is called Heart of the Bride. We've had Brian Christman on the podcast before, and he shares some of what they do in working with orphans in various countries. But specifically in Zambia is Abba's Heart, Zambia. And it's a a group that it was started by Bob and Candace Walker, and their ministry is to help homeless street kids. There's a big a kind of epidemic where there's can be hundreds of street kids on any given day in Kitwe, Zambia, and they're sleeping on, you know, the dirt or on cardboard mats. Food is scarce. You know, addiction is rampant. They do an inhalant called Sticka. And so there's a, a big addiction issue with that. A lot of them have suffered trauma. And so the walkers, you know, creating this ministry, Abba's Heart, it was to do an outreach for these kids and to, kind of meet them where they are, go out into the streets and and talk with them. And there is a drop-in center downtown where the guys can come, you know, and it's different days under 18 and over 18 that they'll come and they'll they'll learn like basic math, basic English, basic like life skills, how to use a saw, how to use a hammer. You know, they'll get a little bit of food, you know, and they share the gospel with them. You know, that's a, another part of it each time. And And then from that, you know, it really is to look at who's kind of in a place and who has the motivation to get off the sticker. That's a big regulation as far as the next step. You have to be willing to get off the drugs to move into the residential program. And so there's multiple residential programs for the girls. There's one for the under 18 boys. And now there's the skill training center for those that are over 18. And so it really is just to help rescue them off the streets, get them back into school, help them learn a trade just share the gospel with them and, and train them up in the Lord and, and just try to help as many as they can. And so they came and spoke to the church actually 
man, when was it? It was a while year ago. Twenty twenty two. So it, it was, was yeah. yeah summer of twenty one. Right. It was summer because the walkers came over. Sometime during the summer, they came over, and I remember they gave like their presentation. They had yeah. a video to go along with it. Okay. Yeah, I think it was like June or July yeah. of twenty one. And then it was uh, later after that when the actual. Zambia trip. There was some time in between. Yeah, it was like a year. So I think originally what it was was Brian Christman came, and he shared about Heart of the Bride overall. And it was crazy. I had to work that weekend. So I didn't – I wasn't here for that Sunday service when he spoke. But I but came home, and Helena and then my oldest daughter, Joyce, were both like, yeah, this guy shared, and, like, the, this one group, this, the ones in Zambia, like, that really stood out to us. And we don't know why, but, we, you know, we, we feel like we want to do more there. And I was like, okay, well, look. Well, let's pray about it and talk about, you know, what that's going to look like for us. Well, like six weeks later, the walkers came and they shared specifically about Abba's Heart, which is kind of a ministry under Heart of the Bride. It's the local nonprofit ministry in Zambia. And so they got to share specifically how they got started and what all they're doing. Again, I had to work that weekend. Crazy. I missed both of them and came home from that one to Helena saying, I need you to pray about doing missions to Zambia. And I was like... Yeah, like I've been to India. Like I'm down to do a mission trip, and then she's like, "No, I want you to pray about like moving there." It's like, okay, it's a little different. It's a little different. So that was kind of like the initial conversation <laughs> that led to the interest in Zambia. And so when it, yeah, like you were saying, Sean, a year later when it came time to do the trip, we had had a year of talking with the walkers, praying with them, talking with our elders you know, praying as a family and just seeking God on what maybe he had for us. And was this something he was leading us to, to move to Zambia and be missionaries at some point? So going to Zambia for us was really a big part of it was about that, was meeting the walkers, seeing the ministry, seeing um, kind of where we all felt about us maybe one day joining their ministry. And so that was probably a big motivation for us. And on my side, I from the time that Brian and the Walkers shared those two times and the actual trip came up, I didn't think about Zambia. <laughs> Whereas you guys have been praying about it for close to a year, thinking about it, moving towards it, and then the trip came open. Yeah, it was crazy because, sorry, I know you're going to have more questions, but I do want to say this. Somewhere in that year, we kind of gave up. There was a There was like a month where we were just like, yeah, we're never going to go over there. Like, just, that's not what God has. Like, there's stuff here we were doing, and we were just really thought that that's what we were going to do. And and then when the, the trip came up and some other things came up, it kind of put it back out there in front of us. So Yeah, you yeah. guys were more intentional about it. And me, I feel like I was just kind of casual about it. It came up, they talked about it. It was like, oh, it's cool ministry. And then the trip came up, and I was like, oh, yeah, maybe. You know, just <laughs> just kind of casually going with the flow. Whereas y'all kind of had, so just the two different perspectives, like yours was, you know, your, you and Helena's was more intentional and mine, like I said, just kind of going along. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what's so cool to me is, you know, there's different motivations, you know, about how God coordinates things, um, you know, just from different perspectives. I mean, you know, uh, I'll, I'll share a little bit about, about Sean. So obviously, you know, Sean's, uh, a lineman and he has a background in construction. <clears throat> so he's, he's super handy, but Sean also has a big heart for kids. And, uh, he, he's been a big part of our family. We're a, we're a foster family. And, uh, I think we'll touch on that on, in another subject another time. But so Sean has a big heart for kids and he's also very handy. So God bringing you there and then God bringing, you know, Tommy there, very different reasons. Um, and, and I want to get into that a little bit later, but what's that? Well, I mean, you're, I think you're also pointing out that I'm not handy. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not, not what I Okay. Well, I'm, admi- I'm admitting it. It was, <laughs> it was good that Sean went. Yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but Sean was more casual about it and you guys were very, you know, intentional about it. And I kind of want to circle back later and kind of talk about, you know, what your initial thoughts were whenever your wife asked you to pray about that and why um, sort of thing too. But I kind of like you guys to talk about, 
uh, the trip itself, because, you know, I, I think a lot of times in ministry, you know, there's uh, there's roadblocks that come up. You know, you already kind of mentioned having doubts or, you know, maybe not going and stuff like this. But I mean, th- this was an arduous trip. I mean, even just the, the airfare, right? Like it was not cheap to go in the first place. And I mean, you know, that that got messed up um, the entire trip over there, people getting there on different days and different times and all the you know struggles of international travel just to get there. And, uh, and then, you know, hey, you know, like, was it, was it still worth it? You know, even if the, sh- you know, the trip was cut short, but yeah, just, just describe the journey over there because I mean that, that was wild in itself. Right. Yeah. The, uh, price of the tickets originally went from like 2,200 to, like 3200 they yeah. increased by like a thousand dollars just because of fuel costs and all that stuff so you know right off the get-go extra thousand dollars tacked on yeah before we even made it to the airport yeah uh, and you know it, it does kind of bring up it's like man is it worth this extra like is it worth thousand yeah. dollars like oh, yeah. and I, for us it was three me helena and joyce yeah, yeah. Times, <laughs> so it was like yeah. oh man times three in the uh the Chesneys, you know, times two. The Johnsons times three. I mean, it, yeah. there were other people. I just went by myself, but there were families that went. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, and, and, and you guys still had to deal with uh, a ton of COVID rules and restrictions, and they were different in every country and the prerequisites for all that stuff and everything and, you know, dealing with passports and <laughs> everything. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. That. Sean liked, it, liked to wait till the last minute to go get his <laughs> yeah. test done. I was like, dude, yeah, you've got to get on this trip. <laughs> yeah. It actually, he, everybody went and got their COVID tests, all that stuff. And Ed, I guess, got the wrong test. So he, he called me up and he's like, hey, man, we're going to, we're going to get this COVID test or whatever the, it had to be a special test. It couldn't just be a, a swab or something. And so we go to Pensacola and go get the test. And it was not even a week, maybe like three or four days before. I I forget how close it was to the trip, but it was. Yeah, it was we, we thought no, we weren't going. Yeah, it had to be within 72 hours. I thought you got tested the morning that we left, like Monday morning. And we left that night. Yeah, it, it, it really was, it was, dude. It was you don't like, remember that? Oh, it wasn't even, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was the morning of. Yeah, because yeah, it had to be within that 72-hour yeah. period. Yeah. And I missed, y'all all went on a Saturday, Saturday. Yeah. and I missed that. Yeah, it was Monday morning. Yeah, you're right. Because I text you Saturday, I was like, hey, are you getting tested, dude? You're the only one not here. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, where do I do that? I'm like, yeah. well, it's, it's too late now. They're all closing. But, yeah, Ed got you there Monday yeah. morning. and we That's they, funny. We headed to the airport Monday night. Yeah. Yeah. Sean had me sweating. I'm so grateful to have people around me. (laughs) All the logistics of planning that stuff. That is not my forte. Yeah. And you you guys uh, flew straight to Dallas first, right? Yeah. Dallas Fort Worth. I mean, there's still airline issues going on today, but is that where it all kind of went to pieces? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We got in that night and they said we had mechanical issues and it was supposed to be delayed and it went from an hour to two hours to after midnight to then just sorry your flight's canceled you're sleeping in the dallas airport and you'll fly out at seven yeah. in the morning and then seven in the morning became eight thirty in the morning and yeah. so by all the time to- by the time all that happened we were missing our connection in london you know there was there was no hope of getting that flight and so that's kind of where it all started and uh what was it? We ended up arriving in like three different groups. I think Helena got there first and then it was like 24 hours later, another group got in and then another 24 hours, our group got in. Yeah. And so yeah, it was just a very long drawn out thing. Yeah. Instead of getting in when Tuesday night, I think, or Wednesday afternoon, we got in Friday night. Yeah. It went from being a, being a three day trip, you know, leaving Monday night, taking the red eye to London you know, and then taking the red eye to Johannesburg and then taking them little planes to Nadola. It went from being a three day travel to being five days. So an extra an extra thousand dollars, an extra two days and sleeping. I, I think they gave us the option to hit a hotel or whatever, but we were like, man, we're not going to make our seven o'clock connection. Right. So yeah, that first night in it's, Dallas, it's midnight. We're only going to get like two hours of sleep and all this so we got to get our bags, and then we got to recheck our bags. So we're like, man, we'll just crash in the airport. We found some comfy chairs, crashed on those. So yeah, and then getting 
like Tommy said, getting in late to Heathrow, uh, missing our connection to Johannesburg. They uh, were like, right, we're getting in a hotel. We're not sleeping in an airport. Well, and again. they told us they had a hotel set up for us. Yeah. And then we get With there the and they're like. vouchers and all that. We're out or, of No, rooms. no, no. <laughs> they didn't even give us vouchers. It was just go to this hotel. We already got yeah, it Just set check up. in. It's already set up. So and we get to the hotel. It's packed out. No vacancy. It's like, let's let's go to the next one. And we're, we're all tired and frustrated. And in the middle of the night in a foreign country, you know. So we hit the next hotel. And it's no vacancy. It's packed out. So we're, you know, at this point, like, I could feel the tension. Like, people were freaking out. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, it was brilliant. It was bad. What day in the trip was this? I mean, because I'm already imagining people day, were tired. That was Tuesday night. This was day three. Day three. All right. So day three. Because Monday. The tensions are boiling already. Uh, yeah. Monday, we made it to Dallas, stayed the night. Tuesday, flew to Heathrow. That was, this is Tuesday night. And then. But it pushed past midnight. Because yeah, at that so, point, at the second it was, hotel, it was already after midnight. Yeah, it was yeah, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Everybody was just like freaking out. Tensions were high. You could, you could cut the tension with a knife. And, uh, I remember I stopped everybody. There was another hotel like right next door. I was like, guys, let's just let's just pray. Well, hold on. Leading up to this, the reason it got as high as it is, the bus drivers are like, you're on your own. We're out. And they just left us there yeah, at that yeah. hotel that had no rooms. And they were like, we can't take you to another airport. We can't take or to the airport. We can't take <laughs> you to another hotel. Like, you're on your own. So here it is after midnight in London. None of us have been there before. And we're all like just stranded on the side of the street to fend for ourselves. And yeah, <laughs> tensions were high. And then Sean and his voice of reason brings us all together. and was like, we need to pray. Yeah. And it was, there was a rush, you know, there was, there was a urgency to find a place to stay. It's like, there's another hotel next door. Let's run over there. I was like, let's, let's pray real quick. Let's make this the urgency. And, uh, just, you know, we just gathered in a parking lot with all our suitcases we prayed real quick and then walked next door and they had some rooms, you know, but we had to come out of pocket for those rooms. So I think it was like $500 a night. We didn't get any meal vouchers. So breakfast was on our own. So just financially speaking, now we're looking at like 1500 extra dollars. Yeah. And we haven't even made it Count to Africa cost. yet. Yeah. <laughs> haven't even made it to Africa. So then, then from there we go back to London yeah, we hung out in London for a little bit because that when after that hit, our flights got di- divided. Half the group, yeah, that's where ended up. So there were seventeen of us traveling together, and I think what our group was seven of us, maybe. Yeah, I don't remember. We were the we were the last group, yeah. the one me and you were in. Yeah, and then there and then Brian Christman had another group that got to they actually got to leave out a little earlier than we did, but we all had a little bit of time to actually go downtown Wednesday, see a little bit of London. And it was interesting because I guess we'll, I want to share the story about Bart. So we had to go next door after the hotel we stayed in. We had to go to the hotel next door to that to catch the bus to go downtown London. And there's a guy sitting there who just looked grumpy. And Susie actually asked him, like, hey, do you know the bus schedule? What's up? And he was like, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> like, he just didn't want to offer us up any info. So we're like, Okay, and he finally let us know, like, yeah, the bus is coming, but you have a large group. You make sure you let me on before you get on. You know, that was just kind of his request. All right, fine, you've been sitting here, no big deal. So we end up getting to talk to him, and turns out that he's a professor, and he was supposed to be flying to the States to speak at a university on on customer service for business. And (laughs) his flight got canceled, and he got stuck in London. I think he was, where was he from, like, Belgium? I think something like I think that. He's from Belgium. And so his flight got, got canceled and he was stuck in London and yeah. he could not get a flight. He, at this point, he was just like, I'm just trying to fly back home. I just want to go back to Belgium. And he couldn't get one. So he kept having to stay at hotels, but like each hotel had would be booked up so he could stay there for one night, but then they were booked the next night. So he was literally just the next morning, take all of his suitcases, go over to the next hotel check into that one and waiting until he could get a flight back home. And then he said the last one, he was like, look, I'm going to fly home today. I finally got a flight. Can I just sit in your lobby and use the Wi-Fi and work? And they were like, no, 
So they kicked him out. So he's sitting outside on the curb. And at this point, he's just ill. He doesn't want to help anybody. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He just wants to go home. And so the first group that had the earlier flight, they went ahead and got on the first bus and they went downtown. And then our group, me and Sean and, and some others, we got on the second one and Bart was on ours. And so, you know, we walked with him over there to get on the, on the thing. And then we paid for him for his bus ticket. And he was just like, why, why would you guys pay for my bus ticket? And we're like, man, you, you know, man, you've had a hard time, right? <laughs> like you've had a go of it this week. Like we just want to do something nice for you. And he's like, this is the first nice thing anybody's done for me in a week. You know? And he said, it just doesn't make sense. People don't do this. And that opened the door for us to be able to talk with him about what we were doing, yeah. the ministry and, and us going to do mission work in Africa. And it was so cool. He ended up taking a selfie with us and sharing it. He gave us all of his contact info and stuff. And, and he told us, he said, you know, this was the, the bright moment, the highlight of this trip. And just, he was very thankful so that was a neat thing that happened in the midst of our delays. Mm. And if we hadn't have gotten delayed or hadn't have missed those two hotels and had to walk next door, you know, all this all this craziness going here and here and delays and all this, we wouldn't have met Bart. And our team was encouraged by it. The fact that he was encouraged in turn encouraged people from our group who were also tired and Grumpy, I'd yeah. say. It's, it was fair, kind of it's a fair word. Both ways, you know. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, encouraged him just paying four bucks for the dude to get on a bus and talk to him. Helped him in his struggle and then helped us, you know, from just knowing that God is sovereign and all of this craziness, like God is still in control of it and put, you know, put us in contact with Bart to like reach out to him. And who knows, man, he might have. Picked up a Bible somewhere or something. Who knows? We could have been planting seeds or watering seeds that had already been planted. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. cool. I mean, especially who, who he is. I mean, you're talking about a professor that's being asked to speak in a large audiences about customer service. You know, and how, how cool would that be if, you know, the Christian <laughs> worldview was integrated into business customer service? You yeah. Know, so that's really he goes cool. in and he's like, ah, oh, American Airlines, you know, their customer service and talks about that. But I met these American Christians and they were cool. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he's speaking on a platform. Yeah. That would be sweet. Yeah, that, that could be in one of his speeches one day. That's, yeah. that's really cool. So so obviously, like, you're not even there yet, right, right. starting the mission. <laughs> but, you know, even through all the frustrations, you're seeing, you know, some fruit. You're seeing some reasons why why you're there. Um, so, yeah, so how was the rest of the trip after after London? Well, so after that, about? that Wednesday night, we were going to get on the flight. So Brian's group left out earlier. And then we had, a like, a 10 o'clock at night flight, I think, from – London to Johannesburg and it was good. Sean and I sat in the same aisle. We were able to talk and just Sean continuing that focus of like prayer and stuff. We, you know, we kind of talked and shared some notes about what God was doing and kind of keep it in perspective. And, and I think in that talk, we thought here we are frustrated, right? That we slept on the floor or on these like makeshift beds with chairs and whatever from the Dallas airport. And we're going to serve kids who are sleeping on dirt, who have nothing. Like we, there was a 7-Eleven that was open late that we were able to go get snacks. The Dallas airport was air conditioned. You know, the chairs were padded and comfy. We were safe. There was no fear of someone, you know, coming up and assaulting us or harming us. You know, it was just an inconvenience. And when we talked and kind of put that in perspective of, who we were going to minister to. It was humbling to think like how upset we can be at inconveniences that to them would be amenities. Be luxury. Yeah. To have a padded chair and air conditioning. Yeah. And some food. And so it just made us think back to why God does things and helping us see his hand, you know, and and we thought back to a sermon that Brian actually preached and then Pat, preached one and they said very similar things, uh, each of them, they said them in different ways. And we ended up talking about it. Um, Sean and I actually shared with the group once we got to Johannesburg and checked into the, to the hunting lodge there, you know, and it really came down to three big questions. Do we believe that God is sovereign? Do we believe that he wants what is best for us and what's good for us? And now that's open to interpretation of what's good, right? What's good 
for him is that he grows us in his character. And I think that's big to keep in perspective. Yeah. But the third was, do we believe he will accomplish his will? And so if we believe those three things, there's no reason to be frustrated or feel slighted or feel inconvenienced because God is sovereign over it all. And we already saw what he was doing in letting us meet Bart. We, we saw what he was doing and challenging our hearts and helping us to gain a different perspective on things, you know? And so as we were able to sit and talk about that, it just, it really helped to put the focus back where it needed to be. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, to me, it sounds like God was preparing your hearts to minister to these kids. And obviously it's always, you know, it's a humbling experience when we leave kind of our American, you know, comforts and it's, you know, I mean, the Bible talks about like, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy, you know, and then you're going out literally against the world and it's going to oppose you, you know, all, you know, at, at every, every corner. Um, so yeah, it sounds like he was preparing your hearts for, you know, for when you, when you, when you actually, actually got there, did, did y'all run into any issues in Johannesburg or was the rest of it kind of the way it was supposed to be until you got there? No, African air travel was smooth as butter. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 From Johannesburg to Lusaka and then from Lusaka to Kitway was easy peasy. I remember when taking, we had to get our, we had to like get our bag each time because we were on these little like crop duster planes, you know, just going. Uh, I think one of them actually had propellers on it. It was a prop plane, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I remember one, we walk up to the counter, you know, and we're like, oh man, here we are in another airport, you know, and I, you know, I roll my bag up there. He's like, yeah, which flight are you on? I was like, going to Lusaka. He's like, all right, man, you're good, and he grabbed my bag and like put it behind him you know, in a, in a pile of other bags. And I remember thinking like, no man, that bag's going to Australia or something like that. Something is wrong. It cannot be that easy. <laughs> and so like every, I remember you were like, did you get it? You know, like, <laughs> you're like, I think so. I was like, I was like there, dude, I don't know. My bag's there. Like, I don't know. So I went like, I got back in the line <laughs> and he put everybody else's bags in the same spot, got back in the line. I was like, Hey, is is that blue bag there going to Lusaka? He's like, yeah, man. He's like, okay, cool. <laughs> Went and sat down and waited for my plane. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was smooth yeah. as butter. And Johannesburg was cool too because I think it was another opportunity for us to see God work because we ended up getting these uh, three people that were going to take us downtown like to see some things. So uh, they actually took us down uh, to eat at like a traditional South African restaurant. And then we got to see the house where Nelson Mandela was born and raised and lived before he became president. So it was really neat. But in that time, uh, Chris from here, who went on the trip, she was able to talk with their driver, this young lady, and share the gospel. And then at the end of the night, ended up giving her a Bible and just being able to encourage her and stuff. And so even there, I mean, we just continue to see the hand of God in, in giving us these interactions with people and being able to to plant seeds and bring encouragement so it was really neat yeah i mean it sounds like it wasn't just the mission itself it was the journey you know just just as well yeah the the mission didn't start once we got to uh you know where we were going in africa the mission started in the pensacola airport <laughs> yeah right, right yeah all right so so five days in lots of struggles but lots of fruit prepping your hearts so you get there what are your first thoughts whenever you get there? I'm glad the, we're uh, finally here. <laughs> I'm glad we're finally here. <laughs> well, didn't you guys go out in the streets the very first night or was that a different So group? we did not. It was the okay. first group. So Brian's group, because they got there, they got there like early Friday, I yeah, think. Yeah, they got there in right. the morning. And, and we didn't get into like six or seven yeah. Friday night, I think. Friday's when they do the... Uh, the, the street, street outreach. Yeah, the street ministry where they... Yeah. They go out to the kids and just talk to them, hang out with them, and kind of check in with recurring faces that they see. Yeah, so f five or six maybe from that first group got to go out and do the Friday night outreach. We drove by and saw them. Helena had gotten in that Wednesday, so she actually got in Wednesday. Then group one got there Thursday, and then the rest of us got their – or no, group Friday morning and Friday night or something like that. But whatever it was, there was a small group that got to go out and do the, the street out outreach, which – was really neat and there were a lot of great testimonies that came from that and definitely pushing people out of their comfort zone and stuff. I mean, Helena has some 
powerful things to that she shared from that night and and that outreach and you know the drugs the sticker is very prevalent it's strong from like an odor standpoint and so you're there and you're almost like battling contact buzz because it's just it's all yeah, it's just, bottles full yeah, of it's it just in the air well yeah. let's let's talk about that for a second so what was it like to see once you finally got face to face with you know kind of like what you're confronting there um to see these little kids you know huffing drugs i mean like what what was the age group i mean i remember you guys even saying that you know most of them have like very stunted growth and things like that like what was it like to actually face the music you know actually seeing this stuff in the streets uh it hurt i didn't like it <laughs> Just seeing little kids walking around in rags, barefoot, doing drugs, sleeping on the street. You know, I, I didn't like it. It hurt. It's not right. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Uh, was it like a shock just to see like how real yeah, it was? Yeah. Or? I mean, it, it was it was a little bit of a culture shock for sure. And like you said, that with the stunted growth, the I mean, we met anybody from like four and five years old up to some guys who were like in their. 20s like late 20s i think a couple were like in their early 30s even yeah They'd been on the street for a long time uh i think his name was like joffrey or something he was in his late 20s um still living on the street but yeah they man like they i mean they'd be like eight years old but they looked like three or four years old and so from i guess from like our standpoint it's like man what is this toddler doing on the street but really they're you know they're like seven or eight which, you know, is not an excuse. You shouldn't be seven or eight living on the street. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it was, it was weird because they're just they're so much smaller than we are. Well, I mean, so can can you guys describe kind of the reasons why these kids are in the street? Like, what's usually the kind of the, the, the precursor to that? Because, I mean, you know, I, I want you guys to share the good parts of the culture, too. I know you all talked about, you know, I, I want you all to tell the listeners about, you know, the kids coming up and, like, grabbing your hands. And they kind of have this, like, community culture where they take oh, care yeah. of each other. Um, you know, we can talk about like, kind of the beauty and the ashes part. But, um, but yeah, I mean, what's what's kind of happening over there? Like, why are there so many street kids? It's kind of a, a mix. You know, there's some of it due to death. You know, you have parents who maybe have passed away from malaria or HIV, AIDS, um, and then the kids have nowhere to go. Yeah. You know, other family members either have also passed away or can't afford to take them in or, or don't have the room. And so kids end up homeless from that. Uh, some of them are in abusive homes. And so it's more of escaping that environment. And then there are some who they just they kind of have this idea that that freedom of the streets is better than living under rules and regulations. And we've even seen where like some kids will recruit, you know, there was one day where we, we were talking to a young kid, like 10 years old. And he said that some friends of his told him like, yeah, come out, sell like combs and brushes on the streets. You'll be, you'll be rich. Like it's like a, like in America, like a get rich quick scheme, right? Yeah. It's kind of that thing. And, you know, they give them all these promises of you don't have to do what any adults say anymore. You're going to have freedom. You're going to have money like it's going to be all all great. And so him and his brother like bounced and went and lived on the streets thinking life's going to be better now. But what nobody tells them is, dude, you're 10. These 16, 17, 18 year old, they're going to take your money. You're going to be living on, in the dirt. You're not going to be living under a roof, you know, and. But they just have this this idea that life's going to be better. So there's multiple reasons that end up leading them on the streets, and and there were girls yeah. out there too, right? Yeah. And then, I mean, from from what I've heard, it's obviously worse for them. Yeah, it's because um, it opens them up to assault. Yeah, big as time. well as you know being homeless and it's not and, as prevalent because over there the way the culture is, the girls are viewed as being able to help more in the house. Okay. So family members are more inclined to, I guess, take in or kind of adopt a girl and have her help out with cooking and cleaning and childcare and stuff in the home. Whereas the boys, they don't view them as helping with that. They don't really have any skilled training yet. And so they, they're looked at as not being able to really provide for the household at that age. So sure. they're more likely to be the ones. But there are some girls who end up on the streets you know, yeah, I mean, they face being trafficked, being raped, being assaulted. I mean, it's definitely very dangerous for them on the streets. And that was probably one of the most heartbreaking things for me to see, was to see these young girls that are my daughter's age or a little younger 
you know, and them coming up and, and kind of attaching to our group that was walking around town and finding safety, if, if just temporarily finding safety and kind of attaching to our group and walking with us. But then the, the heartbreak of knowing that we were going to leave, they were going to be stuck on the streets that night and there was no telling what was going to happen to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, can you guys describe what that was like? I mean, what, what do you mean by like walking through the streets and, you know, kids just coming up and stuff like what, what was that experience like? Cause I mean, obviously that doesn't happen here where you're just walking down the street and kids just, you know, flock to you or want to hold your hand or anything like that. Yeah. It was, uh, it was kind of weird. But, yeah. Uh, like, were they just like yeah. super fascinated with you yeah, guys? Just, or? you know, there's these, there's these tall white people over here. <laughs> like, let's go hold their hands. Well, yeah. and it was two different experiences, right? Because the one day we went down into the village, uh, what they call compounds. And that was kind of a different experience with the kids versus when we went downtown to the market, which is where most of the homeless kids reside. Okay. So it was definitely two different experiences. The kids still followed us, but definitely two different experiences as as to what that interaction looked like and even their demeanor and really, I'd say their happiness, the joy that they... It was a 180 degree difference between the compound kids and the street kids for sure yeah we all hopped in a bus went downtown to you know go walk through the market and just see you know kind of where these kids live and what their what their days look like kind of sort of yeah and so we get out and there's all kinds of people selling combs and watches and brushes and you know fabric and clothes and water just anything get your hands on just selling all kinds of stuff and walking through these really tight like market stalls like what you would kind of see in a movie it was real life just like market stalls selling all kinds of stuff yeah the kids like they would come up and just like you just feel this little hand like grab your hand you know and you're kind of like oh hey you know (laughs) uh, and you know they just hold your hand kind of look up and smile at you and like stare at you especially if you have a big beard you know they're freaked out by beards and like just uh just walk with you it was, yeah it was kind of cool yeah that one was hard because like i've worked in the field of addiction for 12 years but it was different when i've worked with adolescents teenagers here to help them get clean then going there and we went down this one alley where they're literally doing drug deals right in front of you and kids are using right in front of you it's not like oh yeah, the parents caught this kid and now I'm bringing him to you and you're going to help him get better. This is, they are using right in front of you and nobody's doing anything about it. Nobody can stop them. It is just free reign. They do what they want and that's that. And it was, it was hard to see that and to see that just how normal it was for them. Yeah. But the one thing that was encouraging was a lot of the ones, especially the ones who had interacted with Abba's heart in the past or had been down to the drop center, they were super excited to see us. And the thing that really stood out to me was the Abba's Heart staff, when they would interact with the kids, they were genuinely excited to see the kids and the love and the compassion that came from them. Even if they had a kid who had messed up, who was doing well and then messed up and had gone back, there was never judgment or shame or any condemnation put on those kids. It was love and it was, we're so glad to see you. And it was just, you know, trying to just give them as much love and hope as you could in that moment of interaction. And, and that just really stood out to me. And I just thought, man, that's, it's a beautiful thing because like being in the industry in addiction and mental health for 12 years, you get into that kind of role and, and you can become a little numb. You know, the more you see, the more stories you hear, the more uh, of people's trauma and their hurts and pains. I mean, at some point you can kind of become numb to those things yeah. and, and, and and maybe to some degree for self-preservation or to, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Your right. own shoulders, the one you carry. Yeah. But over there, it just, you didn't see that. You didn't see people who were numb. You saw people who each day had this renewed love and joy to go out and reach these kids and that was powerful to me yeah absolutely yeah they they definitely love the kids genuinely 
and knew their names and knew their brothers and sisters' names and how's, you know, Aunt Susie doing and all that, you know, just checking in on them and knowing the status of each kid too. Like, you know, how long they've been on the streets, stuff like that, how they came to find the streets and whether that story was was true or not. You know, they would kind of flesh out, you know, because sometimes the kids lie about why they come to the street and all that. But, I mean, they would put in the time and the energy and the effort that it takes to get to know these kids, go talk to their, their aunts or uncles or brothers or whoever their, you know, surviving relatives are and get the backstory on these kids and just just loved them. That was their life. That was their love and their life. And it was it was cool. Yeah. I think an important thing to point out, like we I said earlier, you know, that they look to see which kids can come into the residential program. But knowing all of that about their past and their family and their history really is because the first attempt at anything is to reconcile them with their families. That yeah. is option number one. Getting into the residential program is really when you've exhausted every opportunity to try to reconcile them with family. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, Sean, I, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing this, but uh, I know you had, uh, you know, text me a few times while you were over there and stuff and you were kind of struggling to figure out what your purpose was over there. And uh, I was trying to, you know, encourage you in that a little bit. But uh, do you want to talk about like what you guys actually you know, did and experienced over there, um, you know, kind of like after that first night or, you know, your first night on the street, like, what did you guys do? And, um, you know, did, did you find, you know, a purpose in it? You know, did you do anything like that? Yeah, I did eventually kind of find my purpose. I don't think it was until after either on the way home or after I got home, really, as far as like, while I was over there, I was like, man, this is, it's like, okay, you know, we're doing, we're doing good work over here. God's working over here. There's there's a ministry over here. I like helping orphan kids. This this is cool. Yeah. But I don't have this really like strong tug or pull to, you know, do anything special, I guess. It's kind of hard to put it into words, but it was just kind of just kind of like I was going with the flow and I felt like, man, I'm just I'm just kind of here. I was kind of bummed out while I was there, but I got back. My I feel like my purpose over there in Zambia was uh, was more of like a support role for the team, for the people who were there, the times that I could, you know, the times that I could, you know, smile and run around and play with the kids. Like there were a couple of people like uh, Tina and all them and just, just mentioned like, man, you're like your heart to like just run around and play soccer with these little kids is like giving me energy to want to like do more. And uh, so just seeing myself as like a support role for the, team who was over there and also like like you kind of mentioned like I do have a heart for for kids I love kids I love yeah I just love kids and uh I love the kids back home and it was kind of that that's what I kind of got out of it was that my people back home need me and uh I want to do something for the people in my area so it really was for me watching Sean I saw an extension of what we see here. You know, we're all in life group together on Thursday nights and our kids love Sean. Like every Thursday night, the post Bible study tradition is that the kids get to chase Sean around and try to tackle him and grab his, grab his legs and wrap, you know, wrap him up and wrestle. And like the kids all love to attack Sean. (laughs) Like, but that playfulness that he has to run around and do that was also seen over there, you know? So we, you know, you said beauty and ashes, and we haven't really talked about the day that we went down to the compound as much, which was where it was the more positive kind of experience of seeing community. And Sean actually played kick the can with a bunch of kids, just something that simple. And they loved it. it and to me, it was just like, well, this is who he is. This is the Sean we see every Thursday night. And we see here when he comes and hangs out at our <laughs> houses and and it was just like, wow, okay, this is this translates, man. Whether it's our kids here in Navarre or the kids over there in Zambia, yeah, no, everybody likes to run around with Sean. Yeah, <laughs> I, dude, I they're, they're probably still playing kick the can <laughs> over there. It was great. I didn't know that. I mean, y'all shared later. I didn't know that meant something to any of y'all. But we had got back because we got to the compound and we split up into three groups because, you know, there was 17 of us over there. So we split up into like three groups of smaller and just kind of went off. Our group got back a little bit sooner. 
So I'm just sitting over there, and there's, like, cans in the ditch and whatnot. And I was like, hey, uh, let's play kick the can. <laughs> and so I grabbed, like, this rusty, you know, sharp aluminum little metal can and started, like, kicking it around and uh, just kind of passed it to a kid. And his eyes just, like, lit up. And he started kicking the can back and forth. And there was a kid maybe in his, like, his 20s who was jumping in on the kick the can game. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was sweet. But the other thing that was cool about that group is they thought that Sean was a WWE wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, see with the big old beard and all yeah. that, right? <laughs> I like to think yeah. of myself as a macho man Randy Savage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> Oh, we need to get you some glasses. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So let's start contrast in the communities, right? Because like you, you guys were telling me that they just like all the different families kind of knew each other and like were comfortable just letting kids just run around wherever because they knew that like, hey, the neighborhood will help and you know watch them. Yeah, and- that was wild for me, man. Like we would walk through and it was just like two here and then four more here. And next thing you know, you know, you got like 20 kids just following you and nobody is going, Hey, Hey, get back in the house. Yeah. They're just like, go ahead. Like the community just watched each other. The older kids watched the younger kids and they just rolled with us, you know, and, and went all the way through town until we got back to the center. And we just, I mean, by the time all three groups converged back together, the amount of kids that we had, I mean, it was crazy. But yeah, I mean, that was, and that was something that really stood out to my daughter Joyce was that sense of community, you know, that really impacted her. You know, she said that that's something that she wished she saw more here. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. So, I mean, this is so fascinating to me because this ministry doesn't just like focus on one thing. I mean, they're trying to, you know, educate people. They're trying to feed them. They're trying to, you know, give them skills and, you know, teach them a trade, um, you know, trying to get them off of drugs. It's really like this multifaceted, um, you know, ministry, which is really cool. So, you know, what, what brought you guys over there was totally different. And so Sean, I hear you like what sounds like you brought back is trying to, you know, bring what you learned from there into our community, because obviously there's, you know, kids here too, that, you know, need, um, interaction and, and stuff like that just as much in ministry. Um, but Tommy, what, what did you bring back from Zambia? Cause I mean, at the beginning you had kind of talked about, you, you know, you and your wife sitting down and praying about going over there full time. Um, you know, it's been several months since you guys got back, uh, where, where are you guys at on that? Well, so the interesting thing is when I think about mission trips, I mean, even when I went on some before you kind of expect to have like this euphoric experience, you know, where you just, you hit this high and you're like, yeah, 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 that was you're all amped up and yeah. But I think the same as, as you, Sean, there was a lot of post trip realizations, you know, and kind of coming to a a place of processing it all and, and really understanding what God was doing. And as Helena and I talked after the trip, we realized that neither one of us ever felt like that euphoria. We never really had that like, Whoa, mountaintop experience. It just kind of felt, just felt normal to be there, which. And honestly, I mean, that's, that's probably better than having some high and then it goes away and you forget about it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's weird because, I mean, I, before I shared with um, Andy here that there have been times where I've watched videos from over there and I just weird feeling like it just felt like home. And so being over there just felt kind of normal, like yeah. this is where we're supposed to be. And it just felt, yeah, just like, okay. You know, and I'm glad. I, I didn't want the euphoric high of like, ooh, yeah, and now I'm driven by emotions to go over there. You know, I think the just kind of constant, consistent emotion to being over there and it feeling so normal just helped and just God going like, here's a piece, you know, like I have you. And so we've continued to be in talks with the walkers and, you know, not a lot has been put out there publicly. We've kind of kept it, you know, in our group and, and everything, but we are talking with Brian Christman here uh, more lately. We're talking with him again here soon. And we are looking to, to speak with the board and, and talk about, you know, what it looks like for us to, to do ministry over there and kind of time frames. I mean, we're, if this is exactly where God is leading and that gets confirmed here in the next couple of months, then, you know, we would still be looking at probably a couple of years before we uh, make a move. But, you know, we would be spending the next year and a half doing a lot of hardcore prep and 
Uh, we're looking to go back over actually next summer as a family okay, and nice. spend some time over there and um, just a little extra time with the ministry and with the walkers and understanding it a little bit more and just getting uh, getting involved a little bit more, doing some, some more work there and, and just uh, kind of going from there. But yeah, the goal right now, the plan and, and what we believe God is leading is for us to join Abba's Heart and Heart of the Bride and to serve as missionaries in Kitwe, Zambia. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, be ha- happy to see where, where God leads you guys and all of that. Um, any more thoughts just, I mean, about the kids or the ministry or the streets or anything else that, you know, just really stood out to you that God did over there? Or was it, you know, just mainly when you guys got back, kind of saw that, that, you know, maybe God's stirring your heart for different things or, you know, stuff like that. I'll say for being over there, I mean, that last big day, it's called Mayan Papa. And every Wednesday, they bring all the street kids onto the Abba's Heart property, and they're able to wash their clothes, take showers. They put on these soccer uniforms while their clothes are being washed and all and drying and all that. And they get fed, and they just get to get out and be kids. I mean, they had, like, the biggest soccer match I think I've ever seen, <laughs> which, awesome. which, which, you know, we didn't talk about it, but like we got there that Friday night, that what Sunday night, I think after church, we played soccer, Sean and I, oh, yeah. Sean and I divvied up as team captains with a bunch of the residential kids. And we got to play soccer. I think we yeah. ended at a tie, but Sean will say he won. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sean's convinced he won. Nice. Yeah. But on my and Papa day, all these kids from the streets, you know, who don't normally get that, they just go out and just have fun playing soccer. And we were able to work with a couple of the local Zambians to get a disc golf basket built up over there out of a tire, <laughs> which was really cool in a pole. And so they built that up and the kids loved it. And they were out there throwing, throwing discs. So, you know, maybe there's hope for a disc golf course over there one day. <laughs> uh, so that was really neat, but it, it was neat to, and humbling to see these kids just enjoying the fact that they had some time to just be kids. They were safe, they were being provided for, and they could kind of let their guard down for a moment and just be kids. And, you know, one of the things is when they come in, everything gets put into a Ziploc bag. And I mean, these kids have like nothing. Their possessions are a couple things in their pocket. You know, what would essentially be pennies or nickels to us is their life savings getting put into a Ziploc bag. And and so it was, that was pretty humbling to see. And, and it was that day that I actually asked Joyce, my 16 year old, she actually was able to turn, she turned 16 while on the trip over there. So that was really cool. But I asked her, you know, how, how was the trip? You know, what do you think about this? And she said, it was amazing. I want to come back. And I said, yeah. And she's like, yeah. She said, like, I'm coming back. Like, I'm telling you, I'm not telling you I want to come back. She said, I'm telling you the next time you come, I'm coming back. Yeah. And she said, I don't care if we get delayed in airports again. I don't care if I have to sleep on an airport floor for five days before I get here. I'm coming back. And a big part of it was just the sense of community and being able to help these kids. She had a big heart for the girls. You know, she had gone and helped some of the girls who were out on the streets and so she had a, a real heart for wanting to, to try to do more to help them and, and have more outreach um, opportunities for them. And so that was just really encouraging for me. And so she's already saving up for next summer. So that was a big thing for me that happened, like, still there. But I think him, Sean, you were encouraging for me as we did our post-trip meeting as a team. We sat and talked. And, you know, and I think sometimes there can be this, like, guilt when you're like, so who's going back? You know, and there can be like this, like, oh, what if I say I don't want to go back? Like, yeah, because you think the euphoria <laughs> thing, like everybody's supposed to want to do this every year now. Right. And I was like, you know, it's OK if you don't want to. Not everybody oh, yeah. is I'm, called. To I, be I'm totally not that person. I'd just be like, that's <laughs> eh, great. But no. Yeah. Good. Well, he was the first one. And I was yeah. so thankful that he did because he and I had already talked about it. <laughs> you know, and the cool thing was that the things that God is leading Sean to, it's really the same type of person, right? Like as far as those who are downtrodden and who are without, you know? Absolutely. So it was like ministry that looks like that, just not there. Yeah. You know, his calling is for here. And I was like, yes, I was so glad that he shared that because I wanted other people to hear like, 
you don't have to go across the world. Not everybody is called to do that. Like if Helena and I go over there, that's what God's called us to do. But God doesn't call it all 17 of us to move to Zambia, right? right? Somebody <laughs> has to reach the people here. Like we are called to reach the nations. And so there are some who are going to do it here. And that is something that God's already used Sean in. I mean, he's always telling us stories of running into people at work who are more often than not, they're usually homeless yeah. and he's able to share the gospel. And so Sean, that was like great for me to hear your testimony coming back of what you felt God was leading you to. Yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. My heart's definitely here in the panhandle of Florida for sure. And I got a heart for the kids. I got a heart for the kids in Africa, but I got a heart for all the kids. And this is my, this is my area. These are my people. And yeah, you know, the homeless people, those are my people too. (laughs) It's, it's so crazy. All the interactions I have with just, I'll just be at work and you know, I'm getting ice or whatever, water for the, for the truck, you know, throwing the cooler so we can go build power lines. And I run into a homeless dude and get the opportunity to preach the gospel to him. And it was like after the trip, I got like three or four opportunities, just like boom, 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 back to back to talk to homeless people or, you know, people who are having trouble with drugs and addiction and stuff. But it was like, yeah, like, thanks, God. Like, this is just a little bit of validation, you know? So that was, that was neat. Yeah, I mean, and also, too, I mean, what, what it really, what, what I've seen you grow in, you know, and we all struggle with, you know, the fear of man is like you coming back and not being afraid to do that. Because I think most of us are a little hesitant to go talk to homeless people because it's like, well, you know, what if they're crazy or, you know, you see a story of, like, somebody getting stabbed or, you know, things like that, and you're just, like, fearless. You know, you're like, yeah, I'm just... Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. you're a person made in the image and likeness of God, just like me, you know. And I'm going to come talk to you, and uh, it's really neat because you know a lot of people won't do that. So yeah, I think it's cool how God's working you too, and it, I think it's a testimony to others because I think sometimes when you go on a trip like that, your sense of purpose can be like a little easier to see because you know why you're there. You know who you're ministering to. It's all kind of laid out in your itinerary of what you're going to be doing. And then you come back to the States and the lines aren't so clear cut as far as, you know, like, well, I have these people I'm ministering to. And so I think it's easy for people to come back and struggle with, well, what now? What's my sense of purpose? How does God use me now here in my backyard? And so I think that God working through you, Sean, that's a testimony to others who go on trips like this to um, to just look for those opportunities around them and just get involved in them. It doesn't have to be some mountaintop thing or the sky parting and sunbeams coming down on a person going, that's the one. Like, just look around you. There are opportunities to minister all around us. There's people everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Don't have anything else to talk about? No, I would say for us, I mean, the biggest thing is just keep, keep us in prayer. You know, we have a lot of decisions that have to be made over the next six weeks that will kind of come to the final decision of whether we are going to be going over there. And uh, once that decision is made, uh, if everything is a go, then there will be more information that we'll put out there. And um, Brian actually said that he'll come on the podcast and talk with all of us and share a little bit more about it. And just to kind of help fill in some of the gaps and share some of the other info about the ministry and what all that's going to look like. But, you know, I'm thankful for both of you. You've both been very encouraging to me, to our family you know, and supportive of that. And so thank you guys. Yeah. Well, we love you guys, man. We'll see, see what God does in your life. (laughs) Yeah. Love y'all too. Appreciate it. Come on, Sean. (laughs) I'm not saying it. (laughs) I love you guys. (laughs) We'll we'll still work on that fear of man thing. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Sean, you do know that I can figure out a way to get you to say all three of those words and then I can edit them together to make it sound like you said it. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you already said it, so now it's in. We know. (laughs) You've been exposed. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate you uh, running this one, so... Yeah, yeah, it's fun fun to interview other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be on the hot seat next, so. All right. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to check out the websites for the ministries that we've mentioned today, you can check out Abba's Heart by going to abbasheartzambia.com. And if you want to check out Heart of the Bride, you can look at heartofthebride.org, heartofthebride.org. So check out both of those. 
And thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. We are dropping new episodes every Monday, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. That way you don't miss an episode. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter. You can find us by searching deed underscore truth, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching the Deed and Truth Podcast. You can also check out the website, deedandtruthpodcast.com, where you can leave us a review, check out the latest episodes, or even drop us a voicemail. So we look forward to connecting with you and until next time.